Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 34, as we potentially get closer and closer to some kind of definitive return to play for the NHL. I am your host, Andrew Gross. Find me on Twitter, please, at A Gross Newsday. Got a jam-packed show that we're going to get right into. Uh, later on, we'll have an interview with Islanders television broadcaster, Excellente, uh, Brendan Burke of MSG New- Networks. And then me and Colin Stevenson will tackle some of Andrew's answers, which again, will soon have to be renamed Andrew and Colin's answers. But with <laughs> that, I bring in my good friend, Longtime friend, our Rangers correspondent, Colin Stevenson. You can find him on Twitter at Colin S. Newsday. Colin, putty, how is everything? Everything's good, man. Everything's good in the world of uh, Islander podcasts and the Island Ice podcast. Having been an award winner, I congratulate you, my friend. That's wonderful, wonderful news. (laughs) Uh, And and, and I should point out that this is not a me award. This uh, uh, New York State uh, Associated Press Sports Editors, it it really is a team effort. Mark LaMonica, who does the production, Jim Bombach, who contributed to the the episode, uh, Colin, who's becoming my co-host here, and it's <laughs> really added to the show, and and, and of course Hank Winicki and uh, and Mike Rose and all the support staff and editors at uh, Newsday, which is it really is a, a team effort, and and very humbled to be a part of it. But uh, having said all that, we have a date. For formal training camp, phase three, the NHL and the NHL Players Association announcing this morning, and it is Thursday, June 11th, which is almost to the day three months since uh, the NHL closed down its season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But the NHL and the NHLPA, a, a joint announcement today, July 10th, Friday, July 10th, phase three, reopening which is formal training camps uh how does that make you feel uh with regards to actually getting the season going again colin well i mean it's a good thing we've been waiting on on a date right i mean we've been you know thirsting for a date i spoke to an agent uh earlier this week uh you know an agent who has um clients that are you know hanging out in europe right now you know when when do you think your guys are going to be coming back? You know, what with uh, the small group training having begun uh, this week uh, around the NHL? And and he said, well, basically, without a date, there was no urgency for them to come back. Uh, uh, and now we have that date, right? So it's, it's July 10th. It is, let's see, one, two, three, four weeks from, from now. Um, and so, you know, these uh, players that are, that are in Europe or, or uh, parts elsewhere – can start, uh, you know, mapping out in their minds like when they would want to come over here and uh, and get ready for the start of phase three. Yeah, and and I spoke to uh, Islanders defenseman Johnny Boychuk uh, yesterday, and uh, I guess that would be the Islander news of the day. Um, other than this July 10th reopening, which affects uh, all 24 teams that are part of the NHL's return to play format. 
Um, speaking to Johnny yesterday, he said his eye is as close to 100% as possible. He's got his sight back. The swelling is down. He, of course, took a skate blade above the left eye, needed 90 stitches and plastic surgery on March 3rd. But uh, today, uh, being June 11th, Johnny is skating for the first time since a team practice in Calgary on March 11th. So, uh, Johnny, looking forward to being back on the ice. But to, to your point, when I spoke to Johnny, same response. He, he, he is back in his hometown of Edmonton, and he did not have definitive plans to come back to Long Island because there were no definitive dates. He didn't know when it was going to restart. So for now, he's uh, planning on skating five times a week in Edmonton before coming back to Long Island. And of course, phase two reopening just happened on Monday with small group workouts at team facilities. The, uh, the, the Islanders opened up Monday, uh, Josh Bailey, you know, Cal Clutterbuck, Maddie Martin, among the players on the ice, Thomas Grice, Scott Mayfield, but it's strictly voluntary, you know, it, just like these informal skates that happen before a regular training camp. But, um, you know, and the other thing I found interesting talking to Johnny was there were a lot of ifs in his sentences, you know, if we do get to play. And uh, I think that hesitation has to do, and, and you read it in the NHL, NHLPA joint statement, you know, health and safety uh, you know, protocols and guidelines, there still needs to be, you know, an all clear on this being a safe endeavor. And I, I do get the sense that some players are a little bit anxious about that. Yeah, and you, you and you, you have to be because, you know, the pandemic is, is still with us. It's uh, it's not, you know, listen, we're, we're all opening around here anyway. Um, and, and all over the country, we're opening in different stages of reopening. Uh, some states have uh, opened all the way. I mean, uh, the states around here are sort of, uh, you know, opening in progress, I guess. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's still there. I mean, it's not gone. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a cure for it. So, I mean, it, you know, you, you just uh, we've we've done a good job of flattening the curve vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, uh, you know, new infections and, and uh, brought the number of deaths down to the point where, you know, we're going to reopen parts of our economy and, and, and parts of our life and stuff. But it's, it's not, uh, it's not a thing that's in the past yet. It's still out there. So, I mean, there is still, uh, you know, uh, concern on the part of uh, players as to, you know, whether or not this is safe. So, you know, you understand that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's still some concern over where the Canadian teams that are coming back might hold their training camps. Uh, you know, if everyone who goes to Canada has to go through a two week, uh, you know, quarantine period, there's some talk that the Canadian teams may make find places in the U S to hold their formal training camp. So, you know, a, a ton of stuff seemingly still needs to be worked out. And, uh, you know, the NHL and the NHLPA made it clear in their statement that phase four, which is the resumption of games, no timeline will be announced for that until, you know, it, it is proven to be safe, um, you know, and, and a formal agreement, all the I's and T's are, 
are completed. Uh, no, no date for the start of the season will be announced before the agreement is a hundred percent, you know, finalized. Um, so it's still a ways to go, but you know, every little bit of uh, news like this does inch us closer to a resumption of the season. Now, uh, I know, Colin, other than hockey, you were kind of reassigned over the weekend to cover some protests out on Long Island. And I guess that's the other topic going on these days. Obviously, the, uh, you know, the fight for racial equality and the protests around the country. And uh, within the hockey world, Evander Kane and some other players have uh, formed a diversity committee, which I think is a great idea and can only help going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a big topic that's that's uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, hot right now because of what's going on in the rest of the country, you know, with uh, the, the George George Floyd uh, death and uh, and the protests that have sprung up uh, as a result of that. But also, um, you know, just things in the NHL, as you said, I mean, with, with you know, the Keandre Miller Zoom incident uh, back in uh, in early April you know, where um, a fan, I guess, I don't know, or somebody on the, on a Zoom call with fans, um, you know, uh, just sort of spewed a, a bunch of racial epithets uh, uh, that Keandre was able to see. Keandre's a, you know, a, a, a biracial uh, defenseman. Uh, and then, you know, Akeem Aliou, uh, you know, had, um, you know, his revelations of uh, being discriminated against uh, by uh, his minor league coach at the time, Bill Peters, uh, that story broke in November. So that's been a big, big uh, topic now that the issue of race and diversity and racism in, in the NHL and in hockey overall. And the uh, these players uh, have formed the Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, led by Akeem Aliou, Evander Kane, uh, and you know, five other guys. Wayne Simmons is in there, I believe. Uh, Joel Ward, who's retired now, is in there. So, you know, these guys want to see, you know, come up with ideas that they can, uh, you know, work on to effect change in the game that'll sort of open it up and, uh, and, uh, to, to all people and, and also see if they can, you know, work on, on methods that'll, uh, reduce the amount of, of, um, you know, discrimination and, and racism that, uh, you know, players may have to experience, uh, players of color have to experience, uh, in playing the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's not included, but, uh, uh, still an Islander prospect, Josh Hosang, who is also biracial and mixed cultured, um, would be a very uh, another very good voice to to include on that. He had a pretty forceful statement he put out on Twitter and an Instagram, uh, just talking about how he has, you know, often seen people just judged on looks and you know and, and on their their backgrounds and and just how not right that is and i think that is the general fight that is going on in the country so uh josh hosang certainly could be a a a good voice of reason there too um colin will be rejoining me again later in the show as we tackle some twitter questions but for now we have an interview uh i did with islanders msg network's play-by-play voice brendan burke and uh you know, one of the crazy things about this pandemic is you're you're so used to being with people on a daily basis, and then you know, three months later, you realize you really haven't uh, you know kept up or, or, or 
or chatted with them. So it was good to catch up with Brendan, uh, get his views on uh, what's going on in hockey right now, what, you know, possible scouting might be with the Islanders series against the Panthers and just what the, the future, future of television broadcasts might be like as it, w- w- with regards to hockey. So uh, here's my chat with Brendan Burke. You know, one of the interesting things about this uh, quarantine is you see people on a daily basis <laughs> for, for months on end, and then all of a sudden it just gets cut off. And uh, one of those people is Brendan Burke, uh, MSG's you know, fantastic play-by-play announcer for Islanders television broadcasts. And, you know, Brendan and I travel around North America, you know, watching the Islanders. And But now it's been, what, you know, <laughs> over two months, and uh, we're, we're chatting here for sort of the first time. So, Brendan, it's uh, great to catch up with you. And uh, how is everyone? <laughs> it's good, Andrew. I think it's been about four years since we left Calgary. Uh, back home. <laughs> yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah, we were uh, we were hanging out in the hotel uh, the <laughs> night before when the NBA uh, canceled the season. We were discussing what we all thought the NHL was going to do the next day, and and sure enough, uh, the NHL followed suit. And now here we are, you know, getting to the middle of June, wondering if we're going to see hockey again. And uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Are, are you optimistic, or uh, you know, I know there's a return to play format, but w- what do you think here? Yeah, I mean, I think that they've done a nice job in coming up with a plan. You know, I am optimistic that they'd be able to play, but if that happens, I'd be shocked if they played an actual game really before the 1st of August. I mean, maybe you could get it in the end of July, but Mm -hmm. uh, I would say bare minimum we're looking at August 1st here if everything goes perfectly smooth. So, um, you know, it's just it's it's a strange scenario just to think about restarting a season and having a Stanley Cup in October and starting next season – um, New Year's, like it's just it's it's just a lot to swallow right now, and uh, you know I'm just I'm as interested as anybody to see how it's going to play out. Eventually, I mean the NHL wants to get back to you know a typical September through June uh, format, but you know that if they start next season in January and you know want to play a full 82, I, I don't see it going back to the old format for a while here. No, I mean it's going to take years to kind of work your way back towards that September, you know, training camp and, and the October start dates. And yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting how, how long it'll take. And if they eventually have to say, you know, what we've got to have a shorter season so we can get back on the schedule because at some point, you know, if you're, if you're moving it up a, a couple of weeks at a time and we're talking, you know, five to six years before we're back on a normal schedule. So, um, yeah. you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, uh, and I guess there were, you know, some rumors, some stories coming out tonight, you know, NBA players a little bit hesitant to maybe put themselves at risk. And, you know, you, you hear some whispers as far as NHL players. Uh, I talked to Johnny Boychuk today uh, for a story, and, you know, I, I asked him point blank if he was going to feel, like, safe and healthy, you know, if he came back, and he said he hoped so. But there, there's no definitive answer on that you know uh do you think at some point you know uh, players concerns about their health are going to really come to the forefront here even more so than they've been up to this point yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting question i think that there's there's got to be a trust level with your team i think the obvious thing for 
a normal person would be to think, hey, you're putting all these guys together uh, in a locker room environment. It's going to be a mess in there. I'll tell you one thing. If that, the locker room in Dreaming, and you know, Andrew, is, is one of the cleanest places you can be, but it's making sure that the guys are doing the smart things when they're home, if they're going home, if their kids are going out, if everybody's being responsible and they're making sure they're okay because if one person's exposed, then everybody's exposed. So, um, you know, if they wind up living in a bubble and they wind up going from hotel to restaurant to, to practice rinks and back and that's it, and they're separate from their families, I mean, it's possible to keep everybody, you know, perfectly fine, but uh, it, it becomes a problem. You know, they've said that one positive test won't shut down the league. All right, just let's say, what with three, what if Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, and Brad Marchand all get COVID? Now what do you do? You know, yeah. it's a, it's just a very interesting scenario. Do the Boston Bruins have to keep playing if those three guys go down? You know, yeah. is that fair? So it, it'll be really interesting to see if they can get through one, getting everybody traveled back from all over the world to where they need to be, get through that without having any issues, then get through training camp without having issues, and then get through games without having issues. There's a lot to get through cleanly before you can actually, you know, really play a Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, and we see it during, you know, what we used to consider a normal season, you know, uh, the, the flu bug would go around the room and, you know, they would – you know, they would try and sequester players away from each other so it didn't rip through the room and, you know, they would they would be able to play. And, and now you're talking about a whole new ball game uh, with COVID-19. And, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. They they keep those, those dressing rooms absolutely clean. But it, this is a hard one to stay ahead of the curve on. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, they have the air filtration systems and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's just what they normally do. But, yeah, I mean, what was it? Not even 10 years ago, they couldn't keep the mumps from spreading around the NHL. So, um, you know, it's it's a very different thing. And you're talking about a, a lung problem. I mean, these are professional athletes where there are, you know, yes, most cases for players or for people that are healthy and, and young, they're not going to have any of the extreme symptoms. But the people that do, I mean, you're talking, I've heard about marathon runners who can't even walk down the street without getting winded because it's, it's a problem with your lungs. And so you're asking these professional athletes to, to try and avoid getting something that can be really detrimental, not only their life, but even if they survive to, to their career and, and their long-term you know, ability to play the, the game of hockey. Yeah, no, it's, you know, and, and, and again, I go back to the beginning, you know, like, Four months ago, five months ago, none of these thoughts were in any of our heads. This, this is, you know, a true zombie, you know, scenario that we're we're, we're going through now. That you know, we, we we never thought we'd think about. But uh, we, we, with sports down, you know, what have you been doing to to try and stay sharp and and, and prepare for any you know sort of resumption of play? You know, in in any of the sports you're covering. Yeah, I've I've done a lot of kindergarten math, but you know I've I've, I've just uh, you know I've watched a lot of stuff. I've gotten to watch a lot of the, uh, the old games on on MSG Plus that MSG has been airing um, because you know there's most of the games they're showing I've never seen. You know, uh, a large chunk of the games they're showing I wasn't born when they were played. So um, you know, being able to catch up on some of those games and just familiarize myself with some of the past and the history is. It's really all I can do. And then, you know, now that I have, uh, you know, I know it's going to be Islanders Panthers. I'm just getting ready to go. Uh, I, I think next week is probably going to be the week where I really start to dig in 
and get ready with the, you know, assumptions, like I said, that we're working under is that we're looking at somewhere around the last week of July or the first week of August. So um, I don't necessarily need to go too crazy at this point because I've still got, you know, the better part of two months to get ready for a five-game series. So, um, you know, I, I'll just, I, I stay up, I read the, the news clippings and, and try and keep uh, abreast of what's going on around the league and, you know, just uh, ready to go as soon as they tell me it's time to go. What are your thoughts before you dive in? I mean, the last time the Islanders played the Panthers, I think it was December 12th. They uh, they won a 3-1 game down in Sunrise. Uh, but 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 Adam Pellick, you know, it was really a 2-1 game. Adam Pellick scores a, an empty netter with three seconds left. And they also, you know, won a shootout and, a, and another one-goal game uh, up in New York, uh, you know, October and uh, November. So uh, any preliminary thoughts on the challenges facing the Panthers? And, and I guess bigger picture, what do you think of this format where you have to play a best of five to qualify for a 16 team playoff? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't have a problem with the thought process of, Hey, you've got to win a series, uh, even an abbreviated one to, to make it into the top 16, because would it be fair to take the top eight by points percentage and, and say everybody else is gone? Well, that would get the Islanders in. Would it be fair to take the top eight by points and, and leave everybody else off? Uh, that would make the Islanders out of it. So, I, I mean, I get you have to draw the line somewhere. So this is, I guess, somewhat of a fair way to do it, where you let a few more extra teams in and you let them battle it out. I don't have a problem with that. I don't really have a problem with any part of it. I just think that a five-game series is significantly different than a seven-game series. Yeah. Um, you know, the it's not just two fewer games because, you know, so many things can change. Um, a hot goalie can really win you a series in a five-game series. You know, you win the first two at home, and that's it. I mean, it's really hard to come back from that, right? you got to win three in a row. It can happen, but you win, the, you win the first two at home, and you're still a long way from closing it out in a seven-game series. You win the first two at home uh, in a five-game series, and, and you're, you're looking pretty good. So, um you know, the five-game series, it'll be interesting. You know, Bobrovsky hasn't been what they thought he would be. Um, does this help? Does this hurt? Um, you know, does Adam Pellick get back and kind of change things for the Islanders back to the way they were? I mean, it, it, there's so many different things. I think uh, maybe no team benefited more from this pause than the Islanders, who, what, had lost seven in a row when they eventually hit the pause button and had the injuries mounting up and significant injuries that they couldn't really figure out you know, how to get their defensive structure back once you pull the Adam Pellick piece out. Now all of those pieces start to go back in. You've got a healthy Johnny Boychuk. Um, you know, you've got everybody who was banged up and cut up and all the skate slices that they had throughout the year of field. And, um, you know, I think that this this could be, um, you know, certainly something that the Islanders could work out benefiting from because if the season kept going the way they were going, it was going to be really hard for them to make that playoffs in those final 15 games. Yeah, I know. Every time I've talked to Barry Trotz, he said, you know, he saw signs during that 03 and 4 run uh, that, that led into the forced hiatus. And, and interestingly, the, the, the seven games they played with uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot in their lineup as well, um, he said he had no doubts they were going to make the playoffs and turn it around. But I agree with you, you know, it, it's a vastly different team with Adam Pellick and Casey Sezikis in that fourth line intact as compared to where it was when, when you left the season off. And, and also, you know, I, I find it interesting with the Panthers, they're, they're a much different team uh, from December just in trading away Vincent Trocek. 
to the Carolina Hurricanes. And, and you're right, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky has not been the uh, $72 million goalie or, you know, whatever they they signed him for. I know that's his number, um, you know, that, that, that they were looking for. But he is a two-time Vesna winner. And if he comes back strong and, and the goaltending isn't quite as strong for the Islanders, you're right, a best of five. That's, that, that's going to be a very short series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I think you, you can certainly have, you know, in, in a short series and in any playoff series too, right, you get a couple of guys that get really hot. You get some of those skill guys that, that can kind of take over and, and it can create some really big problems by the time you adjust to it that, you know, you're, you might be in the hole, you know, three games to none. So, um, and the Florida Panthers, while they haven't been the best team in the league, let's not forget the coaching matchup is going to be exquisite in that series with yeah. Gwenville against Barry Trotz. I mean, that is, uh, you know, must-see TV when you've got these guys coaching against each other in the playoffs. So you've got that chess match going on. And, and Florida, who are still trying to figure some things out, but boy, do they have some skilled players. And Barkov and Huberto and those guys, they're, they're extremely good and extremely skilled. And, and if you catch those guys or they catch fire, um, you know, they can be a lot to handle. You know, it, it was amazing to me because I went back. I mean, and, and, and Joel Quinville and Barry Trotz are, you know, uh, two of the the all-time winningest goalies, uh, all-time winningest coaches in the NHL. I think they're, uh, what are they, second and third, obviously, yeah. on, on, on the active list. And, you know, just the amount of wins they have between them. But they, they've only met once in the playoffs when, 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 when Barry was with Nashville in 2010 and Q's uh, Blackhawks were on their way to the Stanley Cup. So this this really is history, uh, seeing these two guys together in a short series. And I agree with you. It's going to be fascinating to watch these guys work. And, you know, I, when I was talking to Johnny Boychuk today, he was, you know, talking about the advantage he thought the Islanders would have, you know, getting through adversity like this. And he, and he looked at the leadership, you know, Barry Trotz's coaching staff. But, you know, it, it's no different on Florida's side. Joe Quenville is going to mirror Barry Trotz in any kind of, you know, a savvy preparation for this series. Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, when it might be the most overlooked storyline, but to me it's one of the more fascinating storylines of, of having these two coaches, you know, go head-to-head because, you know, it, it might not be – it might not jump out off the page. It might not jump out during the game, but if you watch the, the five games, you know, presumably during this series and, and kind of pick them apart, um, you know, we're going to see each of them make their mark on their team. And um, it'll it'll be interesting to see, you know, because, you know, skill-wise, uh, it's it's a relatively evenly matched series. It's what the coaches can do with it and what they can get out of it. And, and like I said, a, lot, a lot's going to fall on the goaltending. Right, yeah. And, and you know, I, I guess you would assume Semyon Varlamov probably is the leader in the clubhouse to start that game one. But, you know, it, it's all going to be based off this, you know, sprint through a training camp and, and, and Barry, you know, and Quinville and none of these coaches are, are going to be able to afford much leisure or much, you know, patience with a player who isn't, you know, coming right out of the gate very, very strongly. So it is going to be interesting, you know, that the Panthers have their number one goalie. It's going to be interesting through the Islanders training camp to see what develops in their net. You know what, with three months off and, Bobrovsky having a 90 save percentage or whatever it is or below that, I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Montemo starts game one for it, right? Just because of, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable right now just to think of, of how many things have changed and where we're at. I honestly think that every coach is going to have training camp again and 
we'll see who, you know, stayed in shape and we'll see who looks sharp. And I, and I can't imagine that any job right now is safe for anyone until they get back to camp, until coaches get their eyes on them. Yeah, and, and when you talk about goalies, obviously, you know, every Islander fan breathlessly waiting to see whether Ilya Sorokin could be in the mix as well. Yeah. Do, do you, have you, you know, we've all seen YouTube clips, but what, what do you think, you know, the resolution here will be on this? You know, the, the, the league certainly, you know, Bill Daly, when I asked him, said, you know, he does not want new player contracts to be eligible for the 2019-20 season. And obviously, you know, that's a little different from the way things have worked. And it, and it seems like the NHLPA is giving a little bit of pushback on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think from my perspective, I think that I'm, I'm with the league on this. I just, you know, you had a trade deadline. You had all these deadlines set. Obviously, things have changed and all of a sudden, um, you know, teams are going to benefit from having the time off because of injuries. I mean, Adam Pellick is is like signing a player after the trade deadline. I mean, I don't, I feel bad. I don't know how many people ask me like, if the Islanders make the playoffs, do you think they could play long enough for Pellick to come back? And I said, well, there's <laughs> no, there are no circumstances where Adam Pellick will play another game this season. I didn't expect a three month break in the middle because of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so my apologies to anybody I said that to. Uh, but but you get the point is that the you're not supposed to be able to add players. You're not supposed to be able to sign players. You could sign the college players. You can do it, all these different things. But to sign a guy from Russia who played a season on a different team in a different contract and just bring him in and helicopter him into the middle of a playoff series, I mean, that's just not right. And I say that knowing full well that, that the Islanders may benefit from them letting him play. So I just I just think that for me and for the integrity of what's left of this season, I just I wouldn't want to see any players be added in under those circumstances. You know, I mean, we're talking hockey, and certainly I'm sure you're like me, where you want to see this get off the ground and you want to see it see it to its completion. But you know, for both you and I, there's a giant question of whether we're actually going to see these games. Um, you know, there hasn't been any resolution on on media access or you know how these things might get staged once you get into these you know, sequestered hub cities. Do you have any, you know, thoughts on that as to what, you know, what the future might bring for, for you in terms of MSG broadcasting and, and being able to do these games? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's still a lot of things to be worked out. Um, I guess I'm working under the assumption that I will not be in the building where the games are taking place. Um, I just, I just don't see everybody traveling you know, a broadcast team to whatever city and trying to quarantine and travel and just, I guess it's unnecessary risk at this point. Once they can figure, they obviously can figure out technologically how to do a game off a monitor, which is um, extremely challenging and something that I'm not inviting, but something that I'm just coming to grips with just is, is probably going to be how it is. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's going to present a, a number of challenges for the broadcasters, but I just I don't think that um, I will be in any press boxes anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know the the players had these you know you know raised these concerns as well. But you like you said, you have a five year old girl at home. I mean, that that you know I I, I have two daughters, although considerably you know they're they're college aged and uh, you know law school aged at this point. But you know being away from the family like that. 
you know, as hard as it is on, on the players, I, I would assume you have no real desire to be away from your daughter for two months. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, no, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't sign up for that voluntarily. I do understand though that, you know, it's part of the gig and that I, I'm afforded, uh, you know, a lot of benefits from job. Yeah. And I, would, I would do it, um, you know, but I'm not, I'm not trying to leave the, you know, I've, I've actually got two kids here. I've got a three-year-old son as well. Yeah. So I've, I've got two kids here at home and, um, you know, you, especially during times like this, you don't want to leave them and it is what it is. And, and if I have to do it off the monitor, I'll do it off the monitor. If they, if they find a way to get us in the building, you know, uh, you know, for, from my perspective, the, the difference of calling a game off the monitor versus calling a game in person is, is significant enough that I, I would probably go because it, it's, it's just such a tough thing to call a hockey game, specifically hockey off monitor, um, that it, it just creates a lot of problems. Well, you're, you're going to have to rely on having very skilled cameramen, you know, <laughs> to, to, so to that, follow the action properly. You know, so that's the thing. And, and, and people, you know, hear broadcasters talk about calling a game off a monitor. And I think they get the impression that I'm sitting in a room full of monitors and I get to look at whatever I want and, I literally get the same thing you get at home. That's it. Right. So I'm trying to do my job next to you on your couch in the living room. Um, and, and it's, and it's hard, especially for hockey because you are confined to the camera that's following the puck mm-hmm. and that's it. Now for player identification purposes, a lot of times that's hard to read. Um, yeah. You know, think about how many times, you actually see a player's back on television. Very rarely. They're skating across your screen. So when I'm calling a game, I mostly use sleeve numbers. Try identifying numbers off of sleeves the next time you're watching a game. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Um, and you miss things behind the play. I've called games off a monitor for NBC, um, you know, preseason games from China that, you know, wasn't worth sending somebody over to do a game from China. So I've, I've done those games. Um, you miss penalties referees off the screen with his arm up you have no idea that it's happening um i had a guy come out of the box and go on a breakaway had no idea he was even on the ice um you know so just different things like that that you miss so many you miss injuries you miss scrums you miss fights you you miss you miss a lot of stuff because the camera has to follow the puck and so for a broadcaster to lose the ability to watch all that other stuff you you miss you know, interactions with people on the bench that I can see, you know, all the things that you observe in a game that's not just following the puck, um, you really miss a lot. The reporters you have between the glass, you know, even when they're not, you know, on the air, they're in the director's ear a lot with observations of what's going on, point the camera this way or or, or take a look for that. And and, and that's going to be gone from the broadcast as well, that kind of, you know, quick advanced scouting. Yeah, well, what you're going to get, you know, theoretically is you're going to get one feed, and that video feed is going to go to, in this instance, MSG for the Islanders broadcast. That same exact feed, the same pictures are going to go down to Fox Sports South in Florida and is going to have, you know, different voices on it, but you're you're going to have the same video. And the same feed is going to go to to Stanford, Connecticut, where NBC is going to broadcast that with their broadcasters. So, um, none of the three broadcasts theoretically are going to have any control over what pictures are going to be there. They're just kind of going to be generic. And mm. so, um, you know, you lose somewhat of the ability and, and I'm sure they'll figure out ways to, to story tell a little bit, but you know, if the whistle blows and I want to talk about, you know, Johnny Boychuk or Butch has a point to make about Johnny Boychuk and the camera showing 
you know, Sasha Barkov. Okay, now we're talking about Johnny Boychuk, but we're looking at Barkov, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're going to lose some of that because we're not going to be able to control. Uh, the pictures aren't going to be able to follow the words like we do on a normal broadcast. When a normal broadcast, Bush and I talk about somebody, and our director, Joel Mandelbaum, is in the truck, he hears that, boom, those guys are on the screen, and you're looking at what we're talking about. That's not going to be as fluid in a, in, in a situation like this. And, and how is the interaction going to be? With, with Butchie, you know, during a broadcast or, or, or with Joel or, or Jim or, you know, Charlie, any of the guys that, you know, you, you rely on during a broadcast. For Butch and I, theoretically, we're going to be in the same room. You know, well, that would be good. Yeah, so that helps. So we'll be able to at least, you know, look at each other like we normally do during a broadcast and, um, you know, have some nonverbal communication if needed. Um, but I'm not sure how much those other guys are going to have the ability to do much of anything. So, you know, we're just kind of going to, you know, I think we're going to be able to control, you know, a, a camera. But, um, you know, I think there's still a lot of details to be worked out, I think, from, you know, from MSG, from the NHL, from NBC, from Sportsnet Canada. All of these things are all going to be have to worked out together because um, everybody's going to rely on everybody else to get it done. Have you kind of handicapped the field yet? Who, uh, <laughs> you know, I know the Bruins, you know, went into this you know, probably is one of the Stanley cup favorites and, and the St. Louis blues as well. And, and certainly, you know, the capitals had a good season, but in this kind of scramble, do you have a sense of which teams might be better suited to this? Nope. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I read, uh, you know, Barry Trotz talking about the other day. He's like, you could easily see a 12 seed win in the Stanley cup. It's just, it's just one of those things where you have no real idea. Um, you know, the, the regular season that we saw played from October to March, um, it, it, it kind of, I guess, punched everybody's ticket to get here. But you're, you're restarting the season. I mean, this is a complete restart on, on the season. So if, if you talk about a good team being able to have a bad stretch, right? I mean, the Islanders won a 17-game point streak in, uh, earlier in the season, and we're on a seven-game losing streak when the season ended. You can have the, you know, those things. If you hit a bad spot at the start, if you're the Boston Bruins, or you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're you know the Colorado Avalanche, and you were going really well going in, and all of a sudden you come out and it takes you a little bit to get back, you could be gone. So it's just it's it's a really interesting format. It's a it's a really you know people might want to discount a Stanley Cup champion after this and say, hey, that's not a real Stanley Cup. L- listen, this might be the most challenging Stanley Cup anyone has ever won. It, it's, you're talking about having this layoff and having to restart the season, having to get everything going, and then having to win potentially a play-in series to get into the, the playoffs, and then you still have to win 16 games just like everybody else that won a, that won a Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, I'm, I have no idea what to expect, but I am not going to buy into the theory that this is not a real Stanley Cup. This is going to be an impressive win for whoever takes it. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, and you know what? If they can do this, I, it will be important for the world of sports in general. Uh, if the NHL and the NBA you know, can show that they can do this. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a wonderful outlet if they if they are able to be successful at it. Yeah, I mean, it, it it does it does a number of things. I think obviously it keeps the interest in the league. Um, you know that 
has to be waning at this point just because everybody is uh is is, is kind of checked out on what they've been doing because there's no no new information coming out so it gets the interest back obviously there's the revenue component of, of getting back on television getting people's eyeballs on the screen you know for all these partners having a stanley cup you know and then it pushes next season back and i think that is is no small part of this i think that um you know, we're coming to a point where you're talking about starting a playoff in August. The easy thing would be to say, you know what, let's just start the season in October. We'll train camps in September and start over. But I think what they're doing here, because they've played 85% of the season and they, they've packed themselves up in the playoffs, is that you start next season now where you're talking December, January potentially, and there is a bigger hope to have fans in the stands at some point during next season if you back up the start date. I think yeah. if you say we're starting in October, the chances of them having a, a half-full building are slim, and the chances of having a full building are none come October. They're hoping that the world has, has solidified something, uh, you know, whether it's a vaccine or just whatever they can to get a little bit more on solid ground, that by the time January rolls around, hey, now we've got something where we can get people back in the stands. Well, it would be fantastic to get back to what we consider our normal lives and our our normal way of doing business and and just getting to be around each other as well as well as the players. But listen, Brendan, uh, fantastic hearing your voice. Fantastic getting your thoughts on this. Uh, best to your family, and uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you. No, thank you. Uh, thanks for giving me a chance to talk about hockey. I haven't got a chance to do that very much. Yeah. Back, to, back to kindergarten for me. All right. Well, well. Good luck with that. And uh, you know, first grade's even tougher. So uh, <laughs> the, the math gets tougher. I know. I'm going to have to study all summer to get ready for first grade. <laughs> all right, Brendan. All the best, man. All right. Thanks, Andrew. And again, uh, I really appreciate Brendan taking some time at the end of a long day of helping his daughter through kindergarten and. Uh, and, and all the family stuff that that, that Brendan is uh, concentrating on right now. Always good to catch up with him. And and like I said in the interview, it it is really weird. You're you're used to seeing uh, the whole MST crew. You're used to seeing the whole media crew on a daily basis. And now it, it's been three months where you know you, you exchange texts, but it, it's just not the same. You know, uh, you miss family members. You miss friends. You. Uh, uh, you, you just miss everything about the way, you know, life used to be before uh, COVID. But um, we're trying to make it as normal as possible. And what could be more normal than Andrew's Answers? It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. You know what? I wanted to start, and, and I'll try and get the, there's an, there's an overwhelming amount of Ilya Sorokin questions. So I'm going to try and group those all together. But I wanted to start by, by a question submitted by uh, our colleague and good friend, Neil Best, um, <laughs> which, which I thought was, a, was actually a really, really good question that we could, uh, could debate here. And Neil asks, will, will the long layoff help older teams because of the extra rest or hurt older teams because of the extra rust? And you know what? My my question back to Neil is, I'm wondering how he thinks his softball team is going to be when they finally get back on the uh, on on the diamond. But you know what? It it it, it is a good question. Um, my feeling is that the younger players are going to be able to bounce back 
quicker from from the long layoff. However, the older players may be a little bit more savvy in terms of how they took care of their body during this long hiatus. So I, I think there are benefits both ways. Um, and, and, and I also think it comes down to how much guidance the, the coaching and the trainer staff give. But, you know, it, it, just left on their own, I, I might think a, a younger athlete has a better chance uh, off of a long layoff like this. Yeah, I I don't know if I agree with you. I I, I would be in favor, or I, I would lean towards the older guys because I think the older guys obviously know their bodies um, and and have have um, had a longer time to kind of learn their bodies and learn what works and what doesn't work and uh, and learn exactly when they uh, need to kind of gear up for for the next level and how hard they need to push themselves uh, and all that kind of stuff. I think the younger guys are still learning that, and I think you're probably more uh, likely to find younger guys who either have overtrained during this break or undertrained. And I think the older guys will have a better sense of just how much work to put in. Plus I think, you know, the older guys will, will benefit from the rest and, you know, whatever aches and pains that, that, that they've sort of accumulated over the, over the, the season, you know, will, will most likely uh, have subsided and they'll, they'll be in, in uh, fresh uh, condition. And, you know, how often, if you're a 33 year old guy, for instance, you know, how often would you be uh, this fresh going into the playoffs? You know, probably not very often. So I think that the extra, you know, I don't want, I don't want to call it a rest. I mean, this is not something that was planned or anything like that, but I think the the break and the layoff will be positive more so for the older guys i think the i think you're right when you say that the younger guys are more adaptable um because they can be their bodies are younger um but the older guys i think will really appreciate you know the time off and and really will be re-energized to go plus you know you know there's always that mental thing for older guys that they don't know how many more of these they're going to get and this might be the best chance if you're if you're a guy um, on one of these teams that's playing in a play-in round, and you're a thirty-something-year-old guy, um, you know you may view this as a as a legit chance to um, make a run in the playoffs that you know maybe you wouldn't have had coming off an eighty-two game season. Melissa asks, just curious, in the hub cities with games probably being one after another, how do you think the refs will do? Is that too many games for a group of refs in one day? And you know, you're going to have a you're going to have a large contingent of refs there because I I don't think you know I, they're certainly not going to be asked to do multiple games in one day. There there are going to be you know probably three games played each day at each site. I, I would think um, if they could squeeze in four games per day, they might do that uh, to start. But it, it's going to be in that. You know, I would say a minimum of three games per day, and you're going to need a separate on-ice officiating crew for each each game. And you know, you're going to also have games each day, and the the, the officiate the, the on-ice officiating crews are going to need. You know, they can do they do a lot of back-to-back games, but at some point, you know, say every third or fourth day, they're going to need a day off uh, to rest their legs. So you're going to have to have, I would think, almost the entire league. Uh, on ice officiating crews spread out between the two hub cities. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, see why you wouldn't just bring everybody uh, on your on your crew. I mean, you know, and there's also too, 
the referees aren't uh, immune from getting the virus either. So Not at there's all. There's always, no. uh, you know, this thing we talked in the last pod about unlimited goalies that teams would be able to bring and, 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 and brought up the point of, you know, you want to have guys um, that are available in the event that somebody gets hurt or somebody catches the virus. And, you know, if somebody has the virus, you know, they're not going to stop the whole thing. You're just going to have to play without that guy. And I think yeah. the same would be true for, for officials. So you, you would bring everybody. And then here's the other thing. Like, there are no minor leagues that are playing. So, like, guys aren't in shape. You can't just go to the AHL and bring somebody up because the AHL is not playing. You can't just go to Europe and get a guy and bring him over because nobody's playing. So you got to bring everybody, you know, you got to get everybody in shape and, and uh, you got to have everybody available. Uh, but that was an interesting question. Yeah, three games in a day, but no, clearly, you know, guys are only going to do one. They're not going to do multiple games in a day. But you do wonder, you know, how many days in a row can, can they work and, and they're yeah. going to need days off, as you said. So, yeah, bring everybody and, and uh, we'll figure it out when they get there. You know, it might be an interesting story to pursue for the papers, getting a hold of a referee and a linesman and just ask about how they're training at this point and, right. you know, their thoughts on coming back. Um, Mark Beck asks, will all the games be played in an NHL arena? Could need to play three games in one day in the early going? Can they sanitize it quick enough to play three, uh, considering, you know, the chance for lengthy overtimes in the playoffs? Will each team be assigned a different practice rink? Um, I'll just try and run through this quickly. Yeah, uh, I'm sure the NHL has, has thought of these contingencies. They know lengthy times are an issue and I'm sure they have come up with ways to sanitize between games they're going to try and uh, they're, they're they're going to keep the teams in different in different uh, dressing rooms for for certainly I don't know if each team will be assigned a different practice rink but for sure each team will have a different dressing rink uh, dressing room uh, Joe Lyons uh, his question is simple. Josh Hosang, with many, many question marks to follow. And, <laughs> and, and, what about and Josh Hosang? He made a statement. We were, we were he, he made a statement this week, and, you know, I, and I did confirm with the Islanders that technically he is still part of, an, uh, uh, of the organization on an expiring contract, so he'll be a restricted free agent whenever, you know, <laughs> whenever those – that period begins, but as I've said all along, after being loaned out uh, to another AHL team uh, being taken away from Bridgeport, I, I think that signaled the end of Josh Hosang's, you know, career in the Islanders organization. Now, you know, I, I will put the caveat out there that who the heck knows at this point because everything has been turned upside down. You know, uh, the, the whole hockey world, the whole world has been turned upside down. What that means for Josh Hosang, I'm not sure. Going into this, I, I would have, you know, I, I would have laid big money that that Josh Hosang's time with the Islanders was was over. Um, Dr. Crentis asks if a team decided to finally, and finally is in all caps, give Lane Lambert a head coaching job. Do you see his replacement coming internally or externally? And uh, I, I, I would see the Islanders probably reaching uh, outside the organization, uh, you know, to, to bring in a top lieutenant. You know, uh, I, I, should, I, I should rephrase that. 
I think they will go outside the organization to hire another assistant. That doesn't mean that uh, John Gruden couldn't be promoted. You know, uh, uh, they couldn't promote internally to to being the top lieutenant. But I I, I do think they would go externally to to hire another assistant coach. Um, In trots, we trust. And I'm just going through quickly here, Colin. I haven't forgotten about you. Um, (laughs) That's all right, man. You're doing a good job. Pick it up. Uh, in Trots We Trust, asked, last week I asked you about a replacement for Travis Williams, who was the Islanders' business uh, manager, or not business manager, uh, president of business operations, who left to go run the Pittsburgh Pirates. Did you get a chance to ask Lou this week? And I, I am sorry, In Trots We Trust. I did not get an answer from Lou on that, and as it, it, it's still – um, forgive me for using this phrase. It's still status quo on that, um, in that, uh, publicly, at least the position is open. And, uh, the last thing Luke did tell me about that job was that when everything sort of settled down with regards to COVID, the, the, the organization would revisit that. However, with construction restarted, at Belmont, I, I do agree and, and keep the questions coming because I, I do think it is somewhat of, of a priority to, for the organization as a whole to get that filled. Um, here, here's one Colin and I can discuss is Thomas Boyle asked, could you see New York City being a hub city with cases way down? The garden is in a great location. My quick answer to this, and, and first off, uh, New York City was not listed amongst the, uh, the the candidate cities, but you know even if they revisit that list, I, I don't see everyone coming to New York City. Do, do, do you? No, 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 not at all. I mean, uh, um, yes, we've. It seems like New York has has flattened the curve, um, but it still is you know was the the hottest spot uh, in the country, uh, and I think a lot of people who are not from here. Uh, don't want to come here right now. I mean, if you if you watched or if you followed along with the you know the professional tennis uh, players, you could see that the U.S. Open there you know, they're trying to hold their event uh, as as per scheduled in you know the last week of August and the first week of September. And top players Rafael Nadal has been very outspoken about not wanting to come to New York, which has been a hot spot. Um, and he's, you know, he's probably going to skip. And, and so I, I thought, you know, a lot of the top tennis players don't want to come here. And, and I imagine that, you know, guys that, uh, um, play hockey, uh, and are concerned about, you know, contracting this virus don't want to come here either. So no, I don't, I don't see that happening. And as you pointed out, New York city was not in the, uh, 10 areas uh, that was listed as uh, potential hub sites. I got one from Johnny Pajamas, and this is not a question. I think this is uh, him admonished, uh, you know, uh, taking me to task here. But Johnny Pajamas says, do you know that you have mentioned the Rangers and or that you've worked for them? Now, technically, I have not worked Rangers. What Johnny is talking about is that I, I spent many years covering the Rangers. And there's a distinction there that, uh, you know, is probably, you know, right. Uh, that that probably we in the media understand all too well, but in the outside world, I understand the perception of I work for the Islanders or I work for the Rangers or I worked for the Devils. I, I get that. But 
Johnny says, do you know that you have mentioned the Rangers and or that you've worked for them in every podcast you've produced? Um, well, I, I, I don't quite know how to do that. I, I do think I, I would say since the start of Island Dice, oh, 90 to 95% of the content has been pure New York Islanders. So uh, if you had to suffer through me mentioning uh, the Rangers or referencing something as it relates to the Islanders, because I, I did, you know, I can't just erase the fact that from 2003 to 2000, what was it, 16? That was the team I covered. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a big part of my life there, you know, Um but I do think we give you enough Islander content on the Island Ice podcast uh, for it to be okay if I happen to say the three words New York Rangers together uh, from here to there. And I promise Johnny Pajamas sometime before episode 100, I will go through an entire episode without mentioning the New York Rangers. You just have to tune in to every single episode to find <laughs> out which one that is. Robert okay. Williams. <laughs> Robert well Williams. Thank you. <laughs> Robert Williams says, will the Islanders beat Florida then maybe have to play Bruins, Tampa, Philly, or Pens? Uh, yeah, those would be the top seeds. They'd wind up uh, playing one of them. If I'm understanding this correctly, I, I don't see this team going far, but what is your thoughts? And my thoughts are, one, yes. I mean, if I'm handicapping... I think the Islanders can beat the, uh, the the Florida Panthers and, you know, in a best-case scenario, should beat the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, as Brendan mentioned, uh, it, it, a lot of this is going to come down to the goaltending, and Sergei Bobrovsky has not had the season that any everyone expected of him. And how good is Semyon Varlamov or Andor Thomas Grice going to be out of the gate? So I, I think the Islanders will beat Florida. And then, you know, as Brendan said also, you know, any one of these teams can go on a run. And I, I think, yeah, you have the top four seeds that should be, you know, more considered more of the Stanley Cup favorites. But, but after everything that's happened, I, I think everything has just been thrown into a hat and mixed around, and, and anyone could win the Stanley Cup. Um, what, what, what do you think there, Colin? Oh, I'm in total agreement. You know, I, you know, the Flyers had won 9 out of 10 uh, going into this pause. Well, it's been three months, you know. I mean, this, what does that mean now? I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. Obviously, the, they, they still have the same roster, but everybody's kind of starting from scratch. It's like opening day again. It's like, it's like opening with playoff games or play-in games, I guess. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I sure, if you look at rosters um there are teams out there that that would have presumably stronger rosters than uh than the islanders uh but if the you know i mean the, the playoffs and everybody knows this the playoffs uh are are uh, a time when you know a team can get on a roll and, and teams in and especially in the nhl playoffs and we've seen underdogs beat favorites all the time we saw it last you know, last year, you know, when, when Columbus beat uh, Tampa Bay in the first round. So there's no reason to think that, you know, uh, the Islanders couldn't beat Boston or couldn't beat Tampa or couldn't beat one of those other teams. Um, anybody who's in 
I think, and that would include the Rangers too, by the way. Anybody who's in has a chance to win so and has a chance to go on a run. If you get the goaltending, everybody's healthy. Uh, get the goaltending, get a hot guy scoring some goals, you've got just as good a chance as anyone else. Benjamin Deere asks, what is your guess as to when next season starts before or after Thanksgiving? And it's kind of a two-layered question because are, are you asking, you know, certainly if they get this season re- restarted, uh, there's no way next season starts before Thanksgiving. But even if they don't start, and let's take the question this way, even if they can't restart this season, will next season start before or after Thanksgiving? And and I sort of think either way it's going to be after Thanksgiving because if you get into next season, um, as Brendan also mentioned, you're going to want fans in the stands and the, and the later you wait, the better chance of that happening. Let's see. Uh, Wait, the Sorokin questions aren't they all the same question? No, no, there, 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 there are subtleties to them. So I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, anybody but lying Trump, twenty twenty, and again, I am not making a political statement. I want my bosses to understand that. I'm just reading a Twitter handle, um, and I'm going to edit this so uh, I can read it. And it's not that he cursed, but I don't want to be, you know, uh, I I don't want to libel or uh, slander anyone here. Uh, So I will take the names out. Um, But do you think the NHL's part in the movement, and we're talking about, you know, the diversity uh, diversity committee and the statements being made and and how the NHL is, is reacting to the, the, the social unrest and the question of uh, racial equality um, and racial injustice. Do you think the NHL's part in the movement will result in them getting rid of, of racists in the league? <laughs> no. Um, and here's the thing. I mean, you can't, it, it's not like you, you, you check a box, you know, on your contract that says, yes, I'm a racist. That comes out <laughs> through actions. Um, and, and there's also, you know, free speech, which this country is, you know, made up of. And but, but, however, I, I do think the the NHL going forward will be much less lenient uh, towards anything that that does seem like an overtly racist action. I mean, there have been some bad incidents before, and perhaps the league has gone somewhat light on it what are your thoughts here you know to say are they going to get rid of racists you you can't say that because exactly what you said is correct i mean you know nobody's walking around saying hey i'm a racist here you know i got my hand up you know and and if they did you know you do have freedom of speech and so you know if the guy can play then you know it is what it is right so but I, i think what it is is you don't want to tolerate guys doing racist things i mean i'll, I'll no. give you I spoke to a couple of guys uh, last week, um, one of whom was Jerome McGinley, uh, which yeah. was quite a thrill uh, to speak to a guy who's likely going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer or whenever the Hall of Fame gets around to voting again. And, and there's a huge problem if he's not. But. Well, yeah, no. I mean, he's, I don't think that'll be <laughs> that'll be an issue. But anyway, um, so he was a guy who, who said that, you know, quite frankly, he didn't experience um, – the racism that some of these some of the other uh 
players of color have experienced growing up in the game. And, um, the, you know, just a quick story. One of the things that he said that he remembers and sticks out to him, the most memorable incident that he's had to deal with in his career in the NHL was in his rookie year, he's on ice and some, somebody told him, Hey, what are you doing here? You should be playing basketball. Now, so what he said was uh, a linesman overheard that player speak to him, went over and spoke to the ref. The ref went over and spoke to the guy and said, and made it clear in those uncertain terms that, you know, that was to cease and desist immediately. And if the guy said anything similar to that, he was going to get tossed from the game. Um, the guy, whoever it was, and Jerome didn't tell me who it was, and I didn't ask. Um, the guy obviously didn't say anything else uh, the rest of the game. And not only that, but after the game, he he came over to the Flames locker room, saw that Jerome, and apologized to him. So, um, I, you know, and, and, and Jerome told me, like, you know, the NHL does have initiatives where they do um, tell, you know, tell these guys, you know, what sorts of things are, acceptable and unacceptable i mean you know you're not allowed to uh say stuff that you know will denigrate people based on their race or the fact that they're french or european or whatever um or gay or whatever so you know it's not like the nhl isn't doing those things they are doing those things and they do make a difference now i spoke to seth jones as 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 you you may know as well (laughs) and seth jones gets the basketball thing all the time but seth jones isn't offended by that because his father played in the NBA. Popeye. Yeah, Popeye. So, so, you know, so Seth Jones is like, yeah, I don't, I don't really. So anyway, the point being, everybody's different, you know, and, and all black players and all players of color don't have the same experience and, and, and don't have the same trigger points. And, um, but no, the, the NHL is not going to get rid of racists, right? Racists exist in our society and racists exist in every walk of our society. Um, but what you want to do is you, is you don't want to allow uh, people to do things that discourage other people from, from, you know, from being there. Like, you know, NASCAR is going to um, ban the Confederate flag at, at its events and stuff because it doesn't want um, anyone to feel uncomfortable you're yeah. going to a NASCAR event. So, you know, the NHL can do those types of things. But, you know, if you're a racist in your heart, you're a racist in your heart. I mean, the NHL can't do anything about that. Yeah. Uh, well said. Isles of Contention, as we move on to uh, other subjects. Um, Isles of Contention says, why does Brent Thompson have a job at Bridgeport? It's not like the results justify it or that other teams uh want him as an assistant haven't we seen enough and uh, i bring up this question uh because it teases my article in sunday's newsday in which i speak to the bridgeport coach uh and he discusses uh the sound tigers uh, as he calls it hugely disappointing season and gives some scouting reports on some of the progress that individual players made while the team struggled through the season and as you know Clearly, to this point, Lou Lamarillo has graded Brett Thompson as doing a good enough job in developing individual players, and the team results obviously were not good this season, and it remains to be seen going into this offseason. You know, every job is always subject to 
you know, uh, consideration after every season. And uh, I'm sure Brent Thompson will be, you know, evaluated in, in this offseason just as he's been evaluated after every other offseason. But to this point, uh, since taking over the Islanders, Lou Lamarillo has evaluated Brett Thompson as doing the job in player development that, that the organization is looking for. And I, and I agree the team results have not been there. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, coaches do pay for that. But uh, until now, um, they have been very happy with the job Brent's done working with individual players. And, and with that, it is now time for the Ilya Sorokin portion of Andrew's <laughs> Answers. And, and, Mark, you may have to come up with some theme music for Ilya Sorokin. Here we go. I'm just going to run through everything, and then we shall discuss. Um, Mike Seidler says, how can the league spontaneously put a pin in the 1920 contracts when it was no problem to sign contracts like this in previous years? C-T-I-E-T-J, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, says, will the NHLPA push back on Bettman's stance, Bettman's stance on entry-level contracts? Michael Minucci says, with the rules potentially including teams that can carry three goalies on the postseason rosters, would the Islanders consider carrying Sorokin as their number three, assuming the NHLPA wins their fight, allowing European players to sign with their respective teams? Uh, let's see. Uh, William Forthman says, is it a good thing or a bad thing that Sorokin switched agents? thought there was another one. Yeah, Ryan Sweeney says if the rule change allows Islanders to sign Sorokin for this season to burn the year of his entry-level contract, what kind of first contract are we looking at signing him to base and performance bonus? Uh, probably do a whole podcast on that. Um, OJ's shred only said, isn't the judge ruling on whether or not guys like Sorokin can come over and the dude for the Habs too? Aren't lawyers deciding it? Are there timelines for the decision? Uh, Ryan Sweeney says there's no way the NHLPA allows the NHL rule change that blocks uh, uh, guys like Sorokin from signing this season. Is there? Is there? Uh, let's see. Uh, and then Ryan Sweeney asks again, if Sorokin is unable to sign this year, how much longer do Islanders hold his rights before he is free to sign anywhere in the league? <sighs> Boy, my throat hurts now. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's break it down. Like, so it seems like the big thing is the question is why does the league not want to to allow guys to come over uh, from Europe um, to, for this season? Uh, and is the NHLPA uh, going to battle that? And are they going to allow that? And, uh, and you know, I, and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, give your, your throat a chance to heal here. But, but I think the NHL, you know, it's, it's a weird situation, and I'm not quite sure why the NHL would, would discourage teams from bringing over guys from Europe or, guys out of college. I'm not sure how many guys it would affect. Of course, it affects Sorokin. It affects a couple, a handful of other guys. I know the Rangers have a, a, a guy, Morgan Barron, who's in college, um, who hasn't signed yet. I mean, he, you know, I think they'd love to have him for the playoffs. Um, 
you know, I don't know that it's it's. How many guys are we talking about? Five, ten guys over the course yeah. of uh, these twenty four teams. It's. I don't know how big of a problem it is. I mean, Kale McCarr came in last year, you know, from from college and and was able to play. Um, so uh, right. you know, I don't I don't know why they, they why they don't want to allow this uh, to happen. So, but but you know, I mean, I think the, the players' association is going to fight like hell to allow it to happen. But at the end of the day, if they want to play. I don't think that this is the hill that they're going to die on. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if this is the thing that prevents them from playing, uh, I mean, can you can you justify having this be the thing that prevents you from playing? No, I, I don't see that at all. But I do think what has gone into this, and, and Bill Daly, when I asked him on that on the NHL Zoom teleconference, Bill Daly basically called these guys ringers, and ringers, said it would yeah. be unfair to bring in ringers after the trade deadline and after the rosters are set. And, you know, to me that didn't ring true, not to to try and use a pun there, but because they bring in ringers from college, you know, um, you know, Chris Kreider, again, sorry, Johnny Pajamas, Chris Chris Kreider joins the Rangers against the Senators uh, in the 2012 playoffs, Kale McCarr. Last year, there have been numerous instances like that uh, of guys coming off college. And, uh, you know, I I, I sort of disagreed with what uh, Brendan's point there, you know, differentiating between uh, a guy who's played a full college season and then comes into the NHL and a a guy who's played a a full KHL season and and comes into the NHL here. I, I do think there's going to be significant pushback from the NHLPA on this and and I also think there's significant pushback, obviously, from the general managers not happy right. with uh, Mr. Bettman and Mr. Daly's stance on this. Uh, I mean, does Lou Lamarillo want Ilya Sorokin signed yesterday? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you I know, think the answer to that is yes. You know, to, as we try and answer some of the layers of these questions, is it a good thing that Sorokin switched agents in the U.S.? He still has the same agent back in Russia. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of saw it as neutral, you know, uh, time will tell whether, you know, a deal gets done. And I don't think a deal gets done based on which agent he has. A, a deal gets done based on what the NHL ultimately decides. And you know what, if, if Sorokin, you know, finds out he can't sign, you know, his entry level deal and have it, you know, burn off the year this year, you know, for, for the rest of it. And he also learns that the KHL is going to, you know, potentially start play up again in September or, or whenever the KHL could get going. I, if you're Ilya Sorokin, do you want to sit on your butt all the way potentially until January when you could be playing in September? So I, I, I think the Islanders run the risk of losing Sorokin back to the KHL, um, you know, if this ruling goes against them. Having said that, you know, the fact that he switched agents here, I, I think definitely shows his, you know, at, at this point, kind of a single-mindedness in, in trying to get it done with the Islanders before exploring any other options. But, you know, if he does sign, I expect him to be the number three goalie over Christopher Gibson uh, on the Islanders roster as they go into this qualifying series. He's the best guy, uh, best goalie in the world, not in the NHL, right? Pretty much. Uh, that's what Semyon Varlamov said. So then, why would why wouldn't he be the number one goalie instead of the number yeah. three goalie? 
Yeah. I guess, um, you know, there's that whole big rink thing. You'd have to adjust to the smaller rink and things like that. So, I mean, you know. But, yeah, yeah no, absolutely he should be the number three goalie if, if yeah. not the number two goalie and, or whatever. <laughs> and I, I do need to check. I don't have the answer. Someone asked, um, how long do the Islanders keep their right to Sorokin if he's not signed uh, this year? And I, I should check into that. I, I don't have the uh the answer off the top of my head, CBA stuff is uh, not my strong point. I don't have the, the the whole darn thing memorized. So, you know, he was drafted what uh, way back in 2014, and he's going to be he's going to be 25 this summer. So, you know, uh, I, I it's I, I don't think there's the re- reserve clause like there used to be in baseball. Uh, you know, at some point, you know, probably it doesn't get done. Let's just hope for the Islanders' sake that. Um that he's able to play. And, and I mean, it would be a real shame. I think it's not just for the Islanders too. I mean, it's, if this guy um, doesn't come to the NHL, then the NHL loses out quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not just, yeah, sure. The Islanders are, you know, have his rights and everything, but uh, if you're the NHL and you want to be the best league in the world, which, you know, you, you are, but you want to stay on top, right. You want to have all the best players, right. And, and, and uh, this guy clearly would be in that category. So uh, I don't see why the NHL would um, not want this guy to come over. Uh, and, and, any, and any other guy that, you know, is good enough to play here. Um, so I, I, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand what they're doing um, and why they would want to make it a problem other than, you know, they, they, you know, for some reason, don't want this guy to burn the first year of his entry level contract. I, I don't. Uh, from but what I don't, I've why, heard, why would the NHL care about that? I, I just don't yeah. understand. From from what I've heard uh, from people who've been sort of closer to it, uh, Lou does not care one bit whether that first year of the entry level contract is burned or not. He wants the guy signed. He wants him on the does. roster. Yeah, of course. So, he does. And why so that he? is that's not that's not a hurdle at all. But Hey, you want him in your big... system as soon as you can get him in your system, and you know, and, and then you'll have him for long, that much longer. Yeah, I'm going to end it here because we have talked a long time, and this has been a long podcast, and we have to. Uh, we're going to do it all again next week with another uh, action-packed episode of Island Ice. <laughs> but hey, listen, Colin, as, as always, thanks for uh, chiming in and uh, riding the wave with you with me here and. Uh, all the best to you and your family, and uh, we'll catch up to you next week. All right, man. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, Johnny Pajamas, you okay with me coming back? <laughs> <laughs> that is it for episode 34 of Island Ice. 